All right. Hey, this is Jason Carnes. We're here at the Burma Academy Pits at the USA BMX uh, Dixieland Nationals at Cobb County BMX over here. And we're going to have a little sit down with, uh, of course, the man himself, Dale Holmes, and a guy who spent a lot of time cashing checks, writing checks, putting out fires, just running the show. Clayton John, longtime president of the ABA, a man I admire uh, for many years. So uh, here we go. Awesome. Clayton, welcome to the podcast show. Thanks. It's welcome to you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have that opportunity to talk to you. And uh, I guess we'll get things started off with where where did this all start? Where did it all come from? Absolutely. Let's hit it. How did it start? How did you find BMX? Where was you? And uh, yeah, tell us about those earlier pioneer years. Well, originally I was all my background was motorcycles and I, I was a BMX at heart with my son. He's the one that first got me started in it, but I ran a motocross track in Stormstown, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of State College, which is where Penn State University is. And uh, the track uh, that the, the motocross track I ran was nationwide. They, they had We had people from Europe come over and race it all the time. And I was lucky enough to be able to run the races for the gentleman who owned the, this big farm out there and had this track on it. And his son didn't want it anymore, so dad turned it over to me, and I was running it. And, of course, with running it, there's everything from, you know, digging new porta pot holes and moving the stuff around. And, I mean, it, there's a lot, not a lot of glory goes with it, but it's nice on, the, on race days. And we used to have two races a, a month, and they were scheduled. But my son, the one that got me started in the BMX, he, he looked at a motocross magazine, and in the back, there was something about these kids riding bicycles in California. And they were racing. And he, he said, Dad, he said, we got to do this. He says, you can, you can build it. You, you run a dozer and that. Well, you could. And I said, well, I, no, I don't know. So I passed it off for about a month and a half or so during the summer. And finally, he just was like really on my back. I went to the owner. And I said, do you mind if I just cut a little track for the, my, you know, the kids and bicycles? And he said, do what you want. He says, you're in charge out there. So I went and I cut a track in, and I ended up building it like a motocross track. There's no backside on it because everybody jumped with motorcycles. So I just had this little one going down a hill. And we had 13 of my son's friends show up. They all got out there. First trip down there, there wasn't a round wheel in the whole place. <laughs> That's in the days there was 24-inch spokes. I mean, 24 spokes in a wheel. And they couldn't handle dropping off of a, a jump, so... They, they enjoyed it. I realized that there needed to be some improvements, so we worked a lot. And I, at the time, besides running the motocross track, uh, I had a bicycle shop in, in State College, in a college town. And so we ended up switching from the, the big road bikes and uh, that stuff to BMX. I, I had two other bicycle shops in town, so I figured with Schwinn and, and the other guy who ran a bike shop, I said, I don't need to butt heads with them on the college guys. So I just, I started with bringing BMX in and got hooked up with people out in California and had a standing rule where, okay, you got something coming in. I don't care how many colors it's on the crate. You know, I want five of everything. Every time they come, I'll give you the check. Right. And in, in the old days, originally when it started off, some of the manufacturers were giving you jerseys and, you know, and all that stuff to to put their bikes out and so i had my son he must have went through like five different bikes i mean he was with you know torquers and you know all the way 
I, I can't uh, thrusters. He was in on thruster. Anything I had a little bit overstock in there, I put his jersey on with that. that then he rode that bike, and we got him sold. So uh, getting back, I guess, to the BMX part, we started that out, and I didn't know what I was doing, really. So I was just sort of playing it by ear. So we ended up one one week, I put about four kids in the, in the van I had, put the bikes up on the roof, and we went to Craigmire. It's over in New Jersey, okay? It's a, it's a downhill kind of track. It's, uh, it's like a... It's in the ski part area or the snow part area of, of New Jersey. And went there and went up and signed the kids up. And I looked around and I saw this and I went over to my wife. I said, well, we got to get home quick. And she said, what's the matter? I said, if somebody sees the track I built for these kids, they'll think I'm trying to kill them. I said, they have backsides and everything, all that stuff. So we, we there. I didn't belong to anybody. I, did, I was independent. I was paying $100 a race to insurance company in Florida, the same one we use for the motorcycles, and then no refund. If it rained, that's tough. You pay $100 next time. <laughs> so I, I was with them, and then I was... Uh, there were people from different areas that started coming around, and we, you know, we would... Pennsylvania is kind of a homey-type group, and we had... Uh, Bob Tedesco was out of pittsburgh and that's where he was running nbl at and, the same time at the same time oh yeah he that. was yeah he was running at the same time he was run, running actually he was uh probably a year or so ahead of me in in developing and running okay and i was i was there and i like i said i was paying a hundred dollars which was making it pretty hard to get any money out of a race you know you're only charging four or five bucks to, to race during the day so i ended up i ended up getting kind of lucky i had uh a lot of the local people and when i built the track and finally came back from craigmire and and built a track that had backsides on it had berms and you know and 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 was half decent uh and when i got got back to there uh i had some people show up and they're saying what who who else doing this they said oh me and my family and you know the kids and some volunteers and they said well what do you guys need? I said, I said, I need a lot. I said, you know, I said, I, we don't have electricity. We don't have water. We don't have, you know, we have nothing. We're here in a field and we have BMX track. And I said, uh, I like, I ran everything off the car battery, you know, had a microphone. Wow. And, yeah. That was, and then I had, a, I'd built a little shed for, well, actually I took the shed that they used to use as a concession stand and put it down to the BMX track. And then I just took it back up when uh, we ran motorcycle races. But, I had my wife, I my I would be on top announcing, and my wife's down underneath selling whatever we could sell, you know, be it chili or whatever, right. or hot dogs, you know, and uh, that was kind of how we ran things. But they said, well, what can we help with? I said, boy, I said, I, you know, I said, I really need, I need power. I need electricity. I said, we, I can't, we can't do anything hot, you know. And the guy said, well, he said, you know, he said, we, we're pretty kind of interested in what you're doing. He said, uh, why don't you just take I don't know why I should say this don't you just take and put three cases of beer up in the woods right behind where your your starting hill is <laughs> and he said uh, then we'll take care of the rest and I said well okay so I went and went to the and we had beer distributors in Pennsylvania so I went there got three cases of beer took them sent them up there in the woods and I figured well, I don't know what I'm going to get next thing you know I mean it's about in about the time of about two weeks all of a sudden I had poles 
I'm talking telegraph poles. Wow. I'm talking lights on top of those. I'm talking power run from the street all the way up to where we were. And and I had spent, I'd spent three cases of beer, okay? <laughs> and these guys are good. They I and they they came not only did they do that, it was with West Penn Powers who they were with and I did, I didn't know these guys. And they all got together and decided they're gonna this where were their project, you know. They ended up volunteering and and it just it just started growing from there. We used to have fantastic races. I mean it would I, I always said, you know, to make to have a good race you have to have everybody want to be there to win it. So every time we had a, a fairly decent race, and we'd have about one a month, and we could only have three decent races. I mean, big races. I had regular local races, but we would promote like a tri-state championship. And if they called from West Virginia, then it'd be West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Okay, or if they called from Ohio, they were in the tri-state. Okay, somebody from from. You know, Miss Massachusetts, they could be in tri-state. I just said tri-state championship. Right. And we ran them, okay? And, and that, it sort of, it all evolved. And it was because of my son and, and the desire to do it. And I was bound and determined I was going to at least make some money from the shop, if nothing else. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's, that's kind of how my background was and where I started. And then where I went from there, I found out that I had... Uh, NBL, NBA, I was, I was leaning towards NBA, because Craig Meyer was NBA at the time. So I was leaning towards them, I was going to sign up with them, <clears throat> because they had in some insurance benefits. So I end up getting a call from Gene Roden, and this is now about, just about fall of the, the first year. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he said, uh, you know, he said, we have... We're looking to put some tracks out your way. And, and he said, uh, I need some track operators. He said, you have a really good program going there. He, just, he, never, he had never been there. <laughs> Didn't know what I had, okay? Just, just a good salesman, okay? And so he said, uh, I want you to set up. You set it up and get any, all the track operators in Pennsylvania, if you can, together that aren't with someone. And if they're with someone, just bring them in because I think we have, we have a program that will work. Well, when he got there... And I found out it was $25 was what you paid for the insurance. I signed, and so did everybody else in the room. And so that's what really started off. That was in 78, I think, was when I signed with them wow. to run. Wow. And was, so from then on, I was ABA. And uh, So did, when did you make your way out to uh, Arizona then? Made my way out to Arizona, and I sent my wife to Vegas for a bike show. And I don't know what's going on here. And uh, what she was supposed to, she went there. We used to go to the show in New York and also in Vegas and buy product and stuff like that. See what's new and what's exciting and what we can get it all out of. Uh-huh. And end up that she went out by herself because I, I ended up, I, my, my, I had love for hockey and I coached Penn State hockey team for, from. 75 to 81. 81, I, I left I, I left in the 81 a- year. Uh, and I, that was what I did. So I was busy in playoffs when she was going to Vegas. So she went by herself. Gets out there, meets in some people. They're from Chandler. And they said, well, 
you're flying out of here because in those days you used to have extra they'll, they'll give you usually a couple days after and she didn't want she my wife wouldn't bet a dime on anything okay she wouldn't spend a dime all right and so she ends up getting with them they drove her down to chandler and then she flew out back out of phoenix back home and when she got home in in january to like 18 inches of snow and yeah 20 (laughs) degrees and she said that's all she talked about so come may (coughs) excuse me come may i end up going and getting two tickets and i said we're going to fly out to Arizona. I said, yeah, I'm hearing all about this. I want to know what it's like. So we flew to Arizona, went to Chandler, because that's where ABA office was. Went to Chandler and ended up, I bought a house the third day I was out there. Wow. <laughs> I flew back. I, at the time, owned uh, I owned a pool hall in this college. I owned a bicycle shop was running the motocross track and and the and the bike bmx track and i decided we were moving so my kids thought i was lost my mind and i was they weren't going to go but they all came okay uh, jennifer didn't because she had a bank she had a job in the bank she was pretty you know wow. at, the, at the bank and you know and, the fans might not know how connected everyone is here so obviously you're the father of Jen, who's world famous scorekeeper, and it's always a lot of funny stories about Jen. She's one woman gets it right ninety nine point nine percent of the time. And I remember NBL; they used to have five people stacked around the finish line, couldn't get it right, and they're going to charge you for a video protest. They, and, and Jen, she's amazing. Uh, uh, but yeah, so and of course she's married to Bill Morris, the national director, and then and then we got Mara. Uh, she's always working in the trailer. She's married to Rob Fed, who was, uh, you know, top racer back in the day. So it's it is a real a family business, and and I'm probably missing some family members. I don't know, but I know you guys are all, you know, all connected, and and um, so that's that's just cool trivia, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So then moving into the, I guess moving into the 80s, then right. So yeah, it really started to boom then, right? Yeah, yeah, it really did, and I and uh, things were running great. Uh, down there, I the track we we had a heck of a following at the track, and then when we moved to, to Chandler, everything was new. My son was a pro back east. Okay, he come out there, and I I'm not putting him down, but he raced I think eleven times before he made the main at Chandler. But wow. there used to be four gates of pros all the time wow. at Chandler. It was crazy, and uh, I I was there. I was going to start a bike shop again, and I I had. When I was out there and bought the home, I ended up checking with all the distributors to make sure that I could get product and I wasn't boxed out by some of the other bike shops or anything. I get there, and, and I really never looked around. I never researched a darn thing. I end up getting there, and I I start looking for a place to put a track. I mean, I'm trying to track a shop. And there's a downtown every square mile in Arizona. I don't know whether you know that. In Chandler. There, there shopping centers everything every mile there's a that and I, I'm thinking I said how in the heck do I how can I get enough money out of this small little town to to, to do what I want to do and so I, I ended up sitting back and my wife said why don't you go out and talk to Merle for crying out loud he's in the sport so I went out and talked to Merle and he told me to go to downtown Chandler and that was the best place in town 
I went there and there were Indians sleeping in the street with a bottle and a bag, okay? Uh, and I'm going, he thinks I'm mad at my money. I'll be darned if I'm spending money here. <laughs> and I went back and I went, about another two months go by and I, I, I finally, she said, will you get out of the house because I'm, I'm a, always been a workaholic, but not, I don't admit it, but that's what everybody says, okay? And I get back out, go back out to talk to Merle and he said, Clayton, he said, look, he said, I need somebody, I want to set up a system where we're selling product to every bicycle shop in the nation. And I want it done by phones. I want to start a phone business and do that. He says, why don't you come to work for me? He said, in a year, you'll know what you want to do and then you can go do it. So I went to work for Merle, set up a phone shop, and there was a lot of things going on at that time. I mean, and I, you, I could tell you things about ABA and how we did things. I mean, you'd be up till midnight putting labels on newspapers to go out. And we would have, when they, when they did, everything was on Rolodex. I mean, these big Rolodexes. And we would have 14 Kelly girls come in when we were doing a monthly put out, print out rather. And they, they would go through everything, and Merle's wife ran that whole shop part of the, of the you know, uh, points and everything. And that's how it was. What your number was, that's what was scored. If, if a number 12 got a first that day, that was, that was that, your number was 12, that's what you were in Arizona, okay? But we went through all that stuff, and, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger, and Next thing you know, we had, uh, I, I got that going. I also ended up starting, a, not a sweatshop, but a, 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 sh- a shop in, in the back where we became a Hanes distributor. And I, I set up a shop in the back, and we ended up making pants, elbow, you know, elbow guards, the gaiters. Remember, right. used to go over yeah, top. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those, <laughs> we, I did, we did all that. We did them right there in the shop. And I had like eight uh, women that did all the sewing. We had sewing machines, everything. We stitched it off, sold it to all the bike shops and everything. And did it. Ended up starting a a, a a screen printing shop in the same in the back room. See, we had we did all our own trophies. We did all our own. Uh, we had two people, two artists that did all the drawings and everything. I don't know whether you ever saw any stuff in the old days, but I mean they're professional artists and they work for ABA. And I mean it was just it just kept growing and growing and growing. Well, we got into the point where we went to uh, BMX uh, magazine. We weren't getting Merle didn't think we were getting coverage from the magazines, so he decided to start his own magazine. Well, that was a mistake. Okay, but that's you know you you have hard knocks as you go along and that was one of them but uh, we things evolved uh, Roden left uh, some of the other guys left then all of a sudden we had an um, we had a pilot we had a we had a plane we used to fly around uh, <laughs> but wow. we uh, had a pilot that ended up getting with a couple uh people with a lot of money in in arizona and they ended up starting their own sanction and we lost half our employees when they started that in fact 
that would have been in 1984. Okay. 84. And uh, we got into 85... And that's when Merle decided he was going to sell. He was getting out. So he started putting it up there for sale. And uh, we had some people from Texas come in. Uh, well, Bernie Anderson, who now owns it, okay? Right. And uh, we had, there were two investors with him. And we ended up, they ended up switching over and, you know, bought it off of Bernie, off of uh, Merle, excuse me. And... Uh, then we get to the point where we brought in uh, a fellow out of, boy, I'm getting, I'm going to end up with the wrong names here, but we brought in somebody to be president, and he lasted about three weeks, and then they ended up, call, I was in charge of, uh, I was in charge of, of all the advertising and all of the, the sponsor dollars, okay? That's basically what I was in charge of. And I did all, uh, most of the, most of that was what I was. I ran around and tried to get, you know, different companies to, to sponsor stuff. I got Levi's and some of the others, you know, and, and went to GM and had, did a lot of travel back and forth. But anyway, they, they decided, to, they called me into the office one day and said, uh, what do you think about being president? And I said, about what? Uh, president of what? And they said, of ABA. And I said, ah, whoa. I said, I don't know. And they said, yeah, no, well, we'd like to have you make be president. So that was uh, in... Um, I'm going to say it was May of 85, and I became president of ABA. So then that changed everything for me. I mean, uh, it became full-on, full-time, you know. And I was full-time before. Right. But, you know, it was just uh, a different a different weight. It's amazing. You, you've, you've played a major hand in every aspect of the sport, from <laughs> bike shop owner to... So you're saying when you started your tracks, you drove the tractor, right? I you did. The tractor. All the, you've, done, all, you've been track builder. <laughs> Track operator, concessions guy, announcer. Uh, you start, had your own companies. I mean, you've you've done it all, all the way up to the president. You've seen every every aspect of this sport, and so it's probably why it, it grew to become so successful. Because they, you know, it takes a person like that. You 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 know what it what it takes. You know, in deep down in the trenches, you know, to get things done. And that's crazy. There's a lot of things. I'm a fan, so there's a lot of things I, I didn't know about you. And, and until today, so that's that's very interesting, and I hope I hope I know the old schoolers love it, but I hope the people can appreciate the history of it all. Tell us about some of the pros. So let's stop maybe in the eighties. Some of your favorite guys, you know, I guess uh, the guys you work, you know, obviously, El, uh, no, actually, I get Hill and Kevin McNeil, Anthony Saul. Um, yeah, tell us about some of those early uh, early, you know, dealing with the pros and the money you was given out, and uh, yeah, it was, I guess mid eighties it was really booming. So probably good for everybody right then right yeah that was it was it was it was good we had a, a great following of, of pros uh, i i enjoyed dealing with the pros more than anything i mean uh, they they were the cream of the crop uh you know they always didn't all act like it uh they they didn't want to do things they were a little bit uh i don't know a, a, a little sometimes uh forgetful of who was handing out the money at the end of the day <laughs> who the boss was <laughs> yeah. and and you know and, and the fact i i just enjoyed i just enjoyed working with them being with them and uh watching how they progressed you know and it it was it was pretty amazing uh you know i mean we've had great 
days. We've had horrible days, all right, when it comes to races. But, you know, I, I, I go back in, in my memory, and I remember I had a, a race. We ended up in Detroit. We ended up having to move it because of... Uh, because they lost the land, but we had scheduled the race there. We get there, and the track operator doesn't have control. He's not allowed to have it. We end up going to another track north of Detroit, and it was all clay. Nice, big berms, okay? Well, in those days. <laughs> and uh, and we, had, we started the race. It was kind of rough because we had to redirect everybody and get them there. But when we got there... Uh, we're, we're getting to main time, and all of a sudden it's raining. And while clay and rain don't, don't go too good together, okay? But we had all these people. It's Sunday, okay? And in those days, we ran two days, okay? And then, and it's Sunday, and I, I'm saying, guys, we got a race. And I had a few pros, and, and they know who they are, okay? And they, they came to me and said, we're not racing. First That's, pro walkout. <laughs> That's Could have been called there, yeah. And they said, we're not racing. I said, really? And they said, yes. Yeah. So we had a little meeting. And I said, <laughs> I said, you know, I said, we're going we're gonna to do this one of two ways. I said, I don't give a shit. If one guy runs down this track and runs in that main and finishes after that gate drops, he gets all the money. <laughs> I said, if anybody else wants to race, then we'll go down to splitting it up. I said, but... If you don't race, I don't really care. But that gate's dropping, and whoever comes out of the gate's going to get all the money. I had eight guys come out of the gate. <laughs> and you know what? Only two got through the first turn. <laughs> it was a big pileup, but that was, I, it, it was, it's, I know, um, you have things that, that you want and you want done, and you have certain ways that you think they should be handled, and somebody else has a different idea. But it's the guy that's hand, holding all the cards that, that gets to make the last call. And, you know, I, you don't have to be a hard ass. I mean, I never get anywhere by being like that. All you do is try to just explain to them what's going on, why people are here. Those, those kids out there are the ones that are paying for you to get paid because they're the ones that are paying all the money. I'm the one that's handing it to you. So it's sort of an exchange club we got going here. So if you want to work with us and... and, and Follow the rules. We'll be good. So that was kind of one of the things. But anyway, I got off the subject. No, no. So who was? Uh, who would you say? Obviously, we read about a lot in the magazines. We'd read about Ronnie Anderson, Pete Longkarovich, Greg Hill, you know, the dramas. Who was the biggest troublemaker of the 80s, would you say? And I, we can, I'm sure we can all laugh and have fun about it now. I'm sure them guys will be laughing listening to this. So you can name who it is. Or maybe there's a bunch of them. Hi, there, were, there were quite a few. I'm not, but everybody was. You know, I mean, we had... I had the you know, Ronnie, Ronnie and Pete Lankarovich. That was like oil and water, buddy. I'll tell you, and and I'll never forget the time they, they had to ghost. He ghost ridden back into uh, Pete coming across the finish line. Okay, Ronnie did with his bike, and I'm going, what the heck? But that was it, boy. Everybody was out there to. to I'm the I'm the stud here. I'm the guy who's in charge, and and they tried to assert themselves on the other guys. It was good. There, the, I I can't. There's probably 20 guys who were really into the sport and, and at that time doing what they thought was training. But when, as we progressed in the years, I mean, it, I mean, 
you talk about like some of the guys that were were standouts you know like yes okay Stu he was he stood out okay he was he was one of the guys then you get to the Pattersons okay Pattersons were in there battle it was a whole different whole different makeup of 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 pros and it was great when there were so many of them you know I remember the one year Ronnie comes to to the grants okay he if we were to won he could have been number one that year okay but the guy comes a day late, you know, and he wants in. And I said, no, she didn't sign up. You can't race. That's it. And and that he didn't race that, that year. Holy yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, but there's rules, you know. If I do that, the next thing you know, I've got five guys coming in and coming late. And I right. get ten guys, you know. So everybody, and we tried to work with them. And I've been... People have been pissed off at me because I didn't give the pro, uh, the you know, the same car to to Ronnie when he won. At the, 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 you know, the, the, yeah, right. the Trans Am. He won that Trans Am. Right. He got a Mustang. Yeah. Excuse right. me. You know. Right. Well, let's talk like number one on the lines. Then let's move a little bit into the nineties. Um, I guess we, we asked on Facebook yesterday, real quick, for some questions. We got some good oh. ones. So let's let's touch on the uh, Greg Romero question. Um, Jason, do you want to kind of hit the highlights? Oh yeah. So we're going all the way back to ninety five, and I happen to be. Uh, at this Grands, obviously. And um, so there was a year that everybody can remember that there was a rule that uh, you had to be an American to hold the title, right? right to win right. the title. So um, let's see. Now, uh, I think that's just what, uh, here we go. Here we go. We're getting, oh, sorry, I lost my space on um, on uh, Facebook here. So, so Greg, uh, yeah, he calls it back to 95. Um, what? I'm trying to get the year right myself, but he just wanted to know um, how you felt handling it, uh, handing Gary Ellis the number one title after Lavette came in, won the points race, dominated the race. Everyone kind of knew the rules, but then when it comes down to it, you're the guy. You've got to call Gary the champion. He didn't make the main. I still remember him coming down from the stands, walking down to accept, um, you know, accept the keys, accept the, the check and all of that. So, um so let's see, Greg is just talking about Kristoff sitting at the finish line with his open face helmet, frowny face, deflated, you know, after he won the main in the points chase, you know, in hope of some special, we're going to bend the rules maybe, um, okay, we know the rule was this, but he's the winner, everyone knows he's the winner, Let's we got to give it to the winner, but um, it didn't go that way, and so he just, um, you know, Gary, Gary came down, accepted accepted the, the title and the number one, even though the, the boos were raining down and, you know, from the stands, and um, so, uh, you know, how do you feel about that first, and then second, um, you know, would you have been okay with Gary handing the title and the keys over uh, to Levesque? You know, I mean, that that would have been his call. That wouldn't have been mine, okay? I ended up... <laughs> I, Tommy Bracken's just walked in. What a legend. <laughs> I ended up... He the, the rules were, okay, you had to be a U.S. citizen. You had to be a U.S. citizen to win the race, okay? So it was... There was no question about it. That was how it was. That was the rules. We were going to follow them. And... and uh, if, if he wanted to give that to him, that was his choice, not mine. He can do whatever he wants. He just had to return at the end of the year, okay? So that was that was the only thing I had coming, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Tell us your thoughts on this. So obviously that's when Christoph came in. He kind of changed the game a lot. You know, the pro racing changed. We spoke a little bit before the podcast about Christoph and, and your respect for him. So maybe uh, tell us your little thoughts on, uh, I guess, those guys coming over and Christoph being the leading the march. Well, yeah, when he came over, he, he really he, he changed everything as far as training. I mean, it was... It was unbelievable, this change. Well, and we ended up changing after 90. We ended up changing the next year. It was anyone, okay? So those were the rules then. But that, the rules standing were that, that, you know, Gary gets the trophy. And uh, like you say, uh, but when he came in, he changed the whole outlook of sports as far as we know them. And uh, I think it was for all for the better. I mean, people were deciding hey this is serious i have to really want this thing mm-hmm. and he, he he dominated for quite a while and just and a lot of people came by and, and picked right up with him and changed the the outlook of the sport it was it was amazing yeah absolutely you know i think so too that um and so would you say christoph might have been well we had howie way came over before that there were there were always um you know the uh a couple of guys that were yeah the cream of the crop guys from their respective country would make their way over to the u.s and this was the place you want to make a living in bmx or you want to race the best guys it was i mean you got to go to the u.s you got to go race aba so but would you say i think christoph may have really been the one that that um, made it the thing to do. There's Dale comes over, Neil Wood. I mean, you can just start listing off Wade Boots um, and many others after that. So uh, I wonder if maybe Kristoff was the catalyst to the foreign riders, the invasion. You know, those guys came over, and and all of a sudden it was not an American-dominated sport anymore. It was a very international sport, and there was money to be made. We had a national series where you could race all year. You know, Dale... It rains, I think, eleven and a half months of the year in England. So, so yeah, yeah. So this is the place to be. And so I, you know, I knew some of those guys before Christoph, or I knew of them, obviously, in the magazines. But, but I think, would you say, Dale Christoph may have been the one who really said, "Hey, we can go to America. We can make a living in BMX, and that that that's it." So here we go. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he we, we saw him coming in Europe. You know, a, a couple of years previous to, well, early 90s, he kind of appeared in Europe and just kind of started changing the game there just with bike set up. And, you know, Christoph rode for MCS. I, I was on Elf at the time and I got home from the first race of watching Christoph. I called up MCS. I said, I, can, can, I called Garrett Dose. He was running the team. I'm like, Garrett, I want to be on MCS. You know, I want the bike exactly the same as this Levesque guy. And, you know, we, we all copied and we all wanted to do what he was doing. And, and that continued the next couple of years in Europe. And then obviously... He came out here and did that. Yeah, it's like we, we wanted in as well, you know. So he definitely set the bar. And, uh, yeah, for, for, like you said, many years to come. As we're talking here, Mr. Tommy Brackens, the human dragster, has just walked in. Tommy, great to see you. Hey, come by, say hello. Give us a quick uh, something about Clayton from your, uh, from your past history. Well, uh, where's my money, Clayton? <laughs> okay. Now, Clayton was the guy that we all went to and, and talked to about if we had any problems, whatever. And for the most part, uh, he was fair. He was straight to cross with everybody, amateurs, pros alike. Um, if we had a problem, Clayton would basically <laughs> say that, you know, this is what I'm going to do if you guys don't like it. Tough. <laughs> basically. I mean, seriously. And we had to race their rules. And uh, for the most part, we kind of stuck to it. Occasionally, we do have a couple of writers out there. I won't mention any names, but uh, Clayton would have had to talk to him about riding rough and all that. But uh, for, the fo- for the most part, 
he kept it honest and straight for everybody. Not for the pros, once again, for the amateurs as well. So it was a pretty good environment back in the day uh, when I was racing. But uh, after I raced, after I retired from racing, the sport just changed. Just like you say with Levesque coming over. And I say Levesque is like the Beatles mm-hmm. of the riders coming over. Because yeah. once he came over, the door just blew wide open. And right. not only the door blew wide open, they put U.S. on standby. Basically, because then the U.S. wasn't the dominating rider as everyone had anticipated during the past years. And he came over and just annihilated the competition. I mean, really just opened the door, and, and it, which was good for the sport because everyone was trying to keep up with the U.S. But now he came over for like a year, two years and dominated the sport. Now the U.S. is trying to keep up with the Europeans. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's an uncomfortable spot because they had never been in that position. And um, I, for one, was in a position to say that we were on top for a while. Thank God I retired back in 88 right. <laughs> and didn't have to race against him. You know, I had enough problem with Gary Ellison, Stewart, and Greg and all those guys. But uh, for the most part, it done good for the sport. Absolutely. Do you want to, Jason, the questions from uh, Jason Richardson? I had a couple of good questions about promoting it. And yeah, you know, obviously, uh, so Clayton, seeing every era, uh, all the changes... You started in a field with no electricity. Here we are in the <laughs> Olympic Games. Still asking the million-dollar question, how can we grow this thing? And so uh, Jason Richardson has always got uh, great insight and great questions. Uh, so, you know, what changes would you like to see? I mean, you've seen what, what have, what's come of it. Where do we go from here? What do you want to see changed? You know, that, that's, that's a pretty wide-open question. Uh, but right, and how we can, you know, that leads into how we attract more people and then, uh, you know, things like things of that nature well you know basically I, I i guess you get to what what do i think of the sport now or what do i think of what i'm seeing and and you know i i know i long, no longer hold uh a gavel okay but quite honestly i think uh i i, I don't not, i do not like the olympic hill i'm sorry eight meter to me is that's killed the the desire for every kid to be, be wanting to do that, right. and that's what had always held, or had our our numbers grow, because all the tracks were you know when you came you knew everybody raced on the same track. Okay, now when you go and you get into the Olympics, all of a sudden you got an eight meter hill, and let's face it, I mean, there's more people hurt and hurt really bad. I think on that. Now maybe the numbers have coming down now, but I think the numbers have come down because not that many people are getting into it anymore, and I think that's that's a problem we have. And I'm not speaking for USA BMX or ABA anymore. I'm speaking from a person who's been there, seen some of the things, and that's one of the things I think we did wrong. I've always <laughs> I can't get it. I'm going to stick my foot in it now. But I, I've I've always I've always been at odds with UCI. You know, I'm. I'm <laughs> one time we not had alone. a. Oh, I know. Absolutely but, not alone. <laughs> but but they, you know, who is this group who decides they're in charge of the world, and they they they're the ones that decide what you're doing and what you're not doing and why. You know, I I we I had to go to the Supreme Court one time so that we can have a race in Michigan before. The national in Michigan that NBL was running, UCI said anybody who raced our race was not able to be allowed to race the the NBL race. 
All right. And so I went to court with that and we won. And they ended up rescinding it and going back and saying, I said, how can somebody from another country come in and say what we do in this country? We're still asking that question. <laughs> I, and I'm still we asking. I don't. Uh, I'd say the answer is to get rid of that world dominance by a country that doesn't know what they're doing. Well, unfortunately, that's the that's the, the gateway to the big games, you know, I'm, that carrot we're all chasing. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you feel like, I feel like the Big Hill has uh, somewhat, um, I don't know if the word is right, uh, homogenized. It's definitely made racing more clean. Track speed is the, the most important thing. I don't see a lot of rivalries out there. Uh, so when I compare the pro class, I love some WWE, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. And, and uh, I want to see, you know, I, I just feel like when, 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 you know, this, as, as the tracks got faster, more groomed. Uh, um, I, I don't know. People, we just not. We don't see the battles we used to see. No one wants to offend anyone else. And and uh, if you make a pass that wasn't super duper clean, you know you're going to hear about it. And um, you know, I, I don't know if we need to bring the jackal back, or we need to bring Crazy Ronnie bra- back, or <laughs> or what needs to happen. But it's just you know, I don't see a lot of personalities coming through in the in in the races, and that's exciting, man. That's that's what really hyped me up you know to turn pro and to get out there and and uh and do battle but i I don't see i don't see that and so i don't know you know what your opinions are on 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 the current state of pro racing and compared to what it was well it's definitely changed and it's changed i i don't think quite honestly enough for the better and i think it's the hill i think that's what has to do with Mm -hmm. it you know when you when you look back at, at bmx i mean we you know we all started we all started with, with dirt and rocks, okay? And I remember we used to, at every track, I don't care what track we went to, you used to go out and walk the track and pick up the stones, get them off the track. Mm-hmm. And now it's a pool table, okay? <laughs> you There is nothing out there. There's no obstacles, okay? It's just as fast as you can go without killing yourself. Right. And that's, that. That's there. there's no skill in it. Well, I guess there is, but... There's no competition in it, but it's, it's odd. I mean, the, the, I would say the level of the riders today, the, the pro class, is there's no there's no comparison. No. They 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 can ride a bike better than yeah. anything I'd ever dreamed of. But but yeah, like you say, I even go just back a little ways and watch the old um, you know transit DVDs and and the dirt turns and you know smaller tracks just create better racing and it and you know okay it doesn't you can't go 35 miles an hour around start to finish but those you know sliding out in the turns and those um, smaller tracks that hold the speed back a little bit actually create better racing because now what you see in the world cups is a lot of one line racing um you know mistakes are made in that but but it's not really um tight exciting racing to me you know when i watch but but i'm a fan of that as well but but um Anyway, so um, you want to keep moving on with some questions yeah, and Howie stuff? Way, so, yeah, famous Howie Way from Australia, one yeah. of the first foreigners. Uh, I think he came over maybe in the late '80s, early early yes, uh, '90s, 80s, something 90s, like yeah. that. So um, he said, uh, "Thanks for doing an awesome job. You know, looking after the foreigners. You know, especially by cashing the checks back then. <laughs> they used to walk away with the 
the, the well, let's cash. do it real quick. Let's do that. And actually, Christoph did this best. The uh, you know, when we'd always go to the payout window on a Sunday after a race, Clayton would always give us cash, and we always appreciate. That. I was telling my wife that last, last night when she asked, "Who's Clayton?" I said, "Well, he's a great guy. You know, he treated us well. He always gave us cash on a Sunday night." And Christoph can do it in his French accent, like 20, 40, 60, 81, 20, 40, 60, 82. But anyway, carry on. Yeah, no, we 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 had that talk yesterday. I was telling Clayton, you have no idea how powerful that was to me as a sixteen expert or a seventeen expert, a guy possibly I in the pro class one day to see at the end of the weekend guys like Tommy Brackens, Pistol Pete, Gary uh, you know my guy Todd Slavic lined up at the payout window and Clayton just just cashing those checks Watch licking his thumbs 20, 40, 60, 81 and you know what maybe maybe, maybe the guy spent $900 to get there and, and Clayton's handing him 600 back but to me right. I didn't know that I thought he's getting paid right. and so that really was a powerful image he also forgets about the tendency that goes behind that money that he's getting paid out for so the money that he's getting paid in the window is smaller than the contingencies he's get, grabbing from the co-sponsors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know a lot about contingencies anymore. So, you know, so, you know. I, I think maybe they're still out there anyway. But what is that word? But, but that was very powerful to see you do that, and um, and uh, you know, had a lot to do with me. I mean, look, we're all chasing dollars here, you know, in this life, and so that was a big part of um, of me. Uh, you know, turning pro. But anyway, so yeah, Howie says thanks for always taking care of the foreigners. And then, you know, the ABA model was successful, obviously, and it's it's shown uh, through the years. Do you ever consider rolling that out on a global, international level? Taking obviously, there's ABA tracks in Canada, USA BMX tracks in Canada. Um, do you ever consider taking that model around the world? Basically, I we get right back to UCI again, and and uh, primarily. What they do is they'll end up taking that off of the country who goes with them, mm-hmm. with us. So we we wouldn't we didn't have that ability. Now we only got into Canada because, in fact, I think there's only one track now, one one or two tracks now that aren't under USA BMX. Oh, USA Canadian BMX. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's that's a problem. I mean, we couldn't. You know, we we had. Originally, we decided we were going to do everything. We were going to go to Mexico. We we're going to, you know, print stuff in, you know, in Spanish and just put it out. And, right. And you know, once we once we hit the hit the bricks with the UCI, it was just impossible. Is all over. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided, okay, then we're going to try to make it more enticing for people to come here. Right. And maybe even live here, so they can compete here and win all that money that Clayton pays out. One, two, three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Make them kind of twice. Sign it twice. Right, right. <laughs> you know that, that that's a, you know that's, and that's what brought everyone here. A year-round race schedule. Every race was a pro series back then, which I think, okay, you're not going to get a huge turnout at every race if they're all pro series. We got half. You know, a lot of the guys complain that there's not enough races. You know, some people say there's too many. As a double A back in the day myself, a struggling guy, I needed the Ben Salem, Pennsylvanias, and, and so on. I'm going to go out there. There'll be 10 or 12 double A guys. And really, but when you go to those hometown tracks, you really get people who don't get to do the big, you know, SoCal races or Phoenix or, or wherever. So you really get to connect with the people. And I needed those smaller races. And I, I may not cover my expenses with a fourth and fifth. But what it did for me mentally was get me through the next Lemoore, California, or the next Phoenix, or whatever. And so I needed those. And now you take it to where it is now from every race being a pro race to 11 on the schedule. Payouts, 
let's face it, they've gone back to nearly 90s levels. And, and it's just, it's not enticing for people to come over and chase it anymore because why? I, I can't even begin to cover my expenses and then I can't race very often you know, coming over here, it's just, it's a tough deal. And I'm a fan. I was way more a fan of that era that I existed in. And a lot of the riders today are, they're, you know, hostage of their national teams. You know, they have requirements to be at certain races, certain training camps. So even if there was the money and the stuff, like say with the UCI, with the Olympics now, it's, it'd be really hard for that model even to, true, true. you know, even to work in a good, a good, you know, financial economy for the riders, you know. But I, I, I feel like, it's here. You want to come race it? You want to race the most, you know, uh, uh, lucrative, um, successful sanction? We're here, ready to go. But, yeah, no, that's 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 tough. And I don't know a lot about, you know a lot more about all the international stuff and all the rules and all the federations and, and all that. I just think it, it gets in the way of good racing. Everyone wants to peak five times a year. I'm like, let's go racing. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, now with the social media and how everything, everyone's access to, to the pros and how they live, that attitude's trickled down to mid-teen amateurs. They think they need to peak six times a year. I'm like, you better get out there and, you know, live the life. You've got to live the BMX lifestyle. Chase the experience instead of chasing whatever color number plate you're chasing this weekend. And it's just really, I don't feel like the attitude changed to a very, it's a, it's a very elite type of it's almost like a european track meet now and i don't know if it's healthy for our for our sport and i'm probably rambling and 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 bouncing around but that's i i'm a fan of my era but but everyone's probably a fan of their era or think it's better but you know so just talking about growing it or whatever as clayton's looking at his watch so we'll get We'll, we'll shut it down Bob pretty T soon. Okay, okay. Quite oh, a few people one. asking about Bob T. Yeah, last one for Bob Tedesco. Though he was like, you know, the biggest thing we need is more exposure. TV would be great, but we know how expensive that is. I mean, he's bringing up the, the Crank TV show, and I'm sure you remember that, and it's a corporate sponsorship that went with it all. You think it could work today? Could we afford to do it today? Would it help? Did it help? Well, the first off, the way our national schedule set up, you know, that that maybe makes it hard for him to to compete in that but i think the exposure on any way we can get it on is 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 well worth it and and quite honestly we're you know we're, we're trying to we're trying to funnel more kids into the sport you know with with the you know the balance bike and 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 that type of thing you know it but it's it's how do you get them to stick how do you get them to stay with you that's why you always have to be upgrading whatever you're doing and trying to learn from all the people you're dealing with what it is that they really want and we we've we've sort of stumbled onto leg we're trying we're tra- doing that legs now and i'm not a great fan of them but i but i don't know that much about it because it came right. after me yeah, and 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 now they're doing that and and they're getting like 50 60 people brand new people Never been on a bike, okay? They come out and they're, and they're introduced to it. They get in and they're in for so long, x amount of time. Right. You it's know, a and that like a little league soccer it's a season. little league yeah. season, yeah. and that's it. it. And then you can move on to you can come back and resign again if you want. So they have certain restrictions on it, but the, what they're trying to do is get more people involved in it. That's what the whole. That whole uh, theme right now yeah, is now. Yeah. I think the coolest thing about it is they keep them away from some of the toxic 
parents that we have that <laughs> they keep them away from chasing those colored number plates. Let's just have a good time and ride our bikes. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's a great. They have it on a totally separate day to keep them away from. Yeah, some of the things that I think um, I feel like the sport's a little too competitive for its own good. Everyone's got a trainer. Everyone's got a coach. We got kids can't pop a wheelie, but damn, they want a sprint program. They're ready to, right. you know, they're ready to go for the title. So it's. Uh, I, I, I do love what they're do, Donnie's doing with Mike Carruth and um, all the tracks that take advantage of that program. They're bringing in, like you said, 50, 60, even 100 kids, brand-new kids. Right, brand-new kids. So and, and I think that's awesome. In, and they're filtering them in with not with the program they're running, but as an addition to the program they're running. So that's what even – and then they – because they don't race – with the people that are there right. in that league, right. okay, they're not racing, and it's not called racing, okay, but they, that's it's it's just it's a little it's pretty exciting, and and I hope I'm not giving the kiss of death by bringing it up, but that, I I really think that's a lot of our future is lies there, getting with schools, getting them to to go with it. Which has always been a big hurdle, trying right. to get it, you know, get the word out. Well, they're putting smiles on faces, and that's yes, one that's of the, the, that's the, the biggest big thing. Yeah, and it's a, a cool atmosphere at the track, and and I think bringing some fun, good times back into yeah. it is yeah. is what's going to make people stick. That's why that's the only reason I'm here. Really, 32 years later, it started out as a, as, a, as an adventure. We're, we're doing it for fun, fun first, right. you know. What I finished is, is, is it's just secondary. But um, now let's, um, you know, there was a lot of Bob T questions. You know, Bob T being the president over at MBL and someone you now did you, you knew him way back when? I knew him back when. Uh, actually, we used to go back and forth. I he he sent a group when I first had my track and started promoting it. Okay, he ends up bringing a a van of kids out there and they took all our trophies okay where <laughs> it started the rivalry started <laughs> and so uh we of course there's we were all beginners so we had to do a lot of uh, working at it and uh, i think about a year later oh no they they ran a winter series too and they had a there was a building in pittsburgh uh, a, a steel building and uh you used to have to go outside to warm up it was so dang oh cold in that God. place and they raced in in the winter, and we used to get down there every once in a while. Get down and race that because we figured, you know, every, everybody's so bundled up that you can't almost can't get hurt, you know. So it, we we back and forth, but uh, no, I don't have a problem with anybody out of Pennsylvania. So you guys, That's good people. You were so you guys were friendly. Um, so you think that was a healthy rivalry? Um, I, I I'm a I believe that obviously competition is going to breed a better product for everyone. So I'm. Myself, I missed the two sanction, two sanction world. Um, just gave people a lot of different options, and that's what we just want to r- pick and choose the best races to go to. And so I missed that. But um, so uh, you guys had a healthy relationship. Dale was asking if you had a secret bat phone, like uh, Trump and Putin. Did you guys used to have you know behind the scenes uh, phone calls? Like everyone thinks there's a war, but behind the scenes, you guys are like, listen, Bob, let's 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 settle this right now. Or or uh, did did you guys have a secret relationship? Or or uh, what was going on there? No, we didn't have a secret relationship, and there was no bat phone. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, what, when you look at the, the two sanctions, and we were always butting heads, okay? And right. you know what? You know who was winning? Insurance companies. Uh, that's who was getting all the money because we would we would have insurance 
they'd have insurance. Then we would try to find out how much they paid, and they would try. And it just it it kept escalating. It would get worse and worse, and it got to the point where the the be- in fact that's almost what put them out of business. Okay, and so when the when the two joined, and now it became USA BMX, it made it easy to get easier to get insurance. Okay, we're not we're getting as much insurance as probably both combined paid before for one single payment okay and so it it didn't help them it killed them okay but that that fighting back and forth on insurance we just we just were going we were paying the piper every time you turned around and it, it got way out of line did you guys you and bob ever like go and have a drink have a meal or anything any not really no, no nothing like that no even uh, since you both retired nothing. went 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 and sat down with Bob. Uh, uh, we I went to Woodward Camp, and B. A. and I and and uh, Bob and and his wife were Polly. there, Polly were there, and uh, yeah, we ended up sitting talking, trying to get things together and and go, but it, it never went anywhere. But you know, I mean, there was no there's no real animosity. I mean, they they NBL was their thing, and ABA was ours, and. It, uh, we just, uh, good competition, worked for a lot of years, and, uh, and then it's over, it's, it's over, but I never had any hard feelings for him. Yeah. We, you know, no. Of course, I went to the Grands when I became president. I went to his Grands in 85, and no, no ABA hat, no shirt, no nothing. I just went to see how we're going, and, and, he said he sent somebody over and said, uh, "Bob wants to talk to you." After a while, I said, "Okay." So <laughs> I stuck around, but I Bob never came to talk to me, right. and I kind of was visible. But anyway, it, but it was a different society. It was more like uh, you were born NBL, okay, mm-hmm. and you had to stay NBL, and 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 I, I don't think there was anything wrong with it. It was they were Very protecting brand the league. Loyal people, yeah, yeah, but that's yeah, just yeah. how people are. They're right. they're brand loyal. That's where their tracks were. You, you know, they side and you, that's it. They were pretty dominant in the you know in the south and in the east, and that that was that was big. That was where their that was where their paydays were. Mm-hmm. So nothing wrong with it. Cool. Well, let's wrap this up, Jason. I know uh, Clayton's got to run, and we've, we've got some good uh, good questions. Any final thoughts? Any last things you want to say? Man, I'm just a big fan. This guy, uh, you know, like Tommy touched on, he's always been super fair far as i know honest he's always got a smile on his face and uh, i mean i had a couple of run-ins with clayton he probably doesn't remember i got myself in trouble back in about uh 87 for running around nude um but he I, uh, but you know you mean, you mean driving to the grants i didn't know about that uh, we, we did, anyway you know listen i'm just trying to make a buck but anyway i had a couple of i had a couple of run-ins with clayton but he was always super fair you know he threatened me a couple of times and i shaped up but but uh you know i love the guy he's like like i said he's he's been involved in every facet of the sport since you know i'm yeah yeah so i came around 86 so he was around before i before i knew anything about bmx but um i just appreciate all the years of hard work um you're the guy with the money in your hand. You were the guy. I well, we all, we always joke because it was in the '90s. We'd always fly back to California, America West. So we'd always go through Phoenix. So you guys would always be on the on the plane on the plane Sunday night. And obviously, that's when we always used to get upgraded a lot. But a lot of times we got upgraded because all the ABA was up front. But we'd always <laughs> laugh because Clayton would come in, in you know seat one A with a big briefcase, and we'd always like, man, there's the money, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
No, so that's just uh, Clayton. I, I, yeah, just thanks for all the years of hard work, man. You, you built this thing into something special, and and it was something that everyone strived to be a part of. And and uh, so I just appreciate it, and I, I'm I'm happy to still be here myself. Absolutely, and and I, same for me. You know, like you was always really nice to the foreigners. You uh, you know pleasant you gave us a uh, opportunity to make money where we couldn't do it in our own country and yeah i always always felt like uh, feel, feeling part of it so thanks on uh, our side as well clayton oh they believe me i was uh it was a pleasure working with all of them i never really had a i never really held in harbor anything against anybody I, I knew every one of the writers had their idea of what they should be doing and how they were to do it and uh, we did have some rough stuff in the old days. We got yeah. that straightened out pretty good. I mean, it was, it, it you know, I mean, I, I still can't go back. I, I have my, my you know, uh, my son-in-law, <laughs> uh, Robert Fade, he, uh, he, still, he, he still gets on me about Louisiana, okay, uh, yeah. and Merle. <laughs> and that, and that's a race where if he would have won, he would have got the, but he, he got the, Cruiser title? If he, how about uh, Robert? Yeah, Robert. If he, if Robert would have took third, he would have won overall that weekend. Oh, weekend yeah. But they got the two. Me and yeah. Robert look a lot alike. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. You okay. know, yeah, Rob Fate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he made the wrong call. <laughs> he made the wrong call, and Clayton tried to straighten it out. I tried to straighten it out. I said, "Hey, look!" I said, "Tommy fell in the last <laughs> turn," <laughs> and I said. That was Rob Fade to cross the finish line. Merle said, of course, Merle scored in those days. And he said, you can give him fifth place or better. I don't care. Or no better. But fifth place, that's all he gets. I said, but it wasn't. He was second or third. He was third. No. And he said, no, no, no. Can't do it. But that's I, I, I still hear that. He doesn't even want to talk about that. <laughs> but anyway, there's, uh, I like I'm saying, there, there's been. Oh yeah, yeah. That was, that was the first time ever that I seen Clayton basically DQ'd a rider, a pro rider, right there on the spot. <laughs> I let Clayton tell you the story. I, <laughs> no, I no, no you go ahead, go ahead, tell the story. Oh well, I don't know if you guys probably know this from the past, but uh, Ronnie would like to basically show his feeling on the gate. Now this particular race, uh, I think it was. Stewart and I, uh, Greg Hill and Ellis was on the gate, plus Ronnie Anderson, and uh, Ronnie put his front wheel over the gate, stopped the gate from falling, and he was said, I'm going to beat you, 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 right down the line, right? So, uh, in the moto, I beat him in the moto. Okay, we're coming across the finish line, and I just sit down on my bike, and Ronnie's full speed pulls right in front of me and locks his brakes up and I wound up flipping over my bike and over his bike well that didn't go too well with me and I went after Ronnie you know so the race stops there's a big commotion at the finish line and seen Ronnie standing at, at his bike so I went reached for him and someone grabbed me from behind and put me in the full Nelson right so I couldn't do anything right. and I was so focused on Ronnie I just had tunnel vision and I heard a voice on the left side that says, you know, let him blank, blank, go. And I turned around, it was Greg Hill. You know, and then it said, let him go right now. I heard another voice, it was Gary, Gary Ellis, said, let him go. Well, he let me go. Ronnie takes off running. I turn around, it was Richie, had me in the full Nelson. 
And about that time, Doc Schofield, the team manager, came down. I seen Clayton come running down. And it was a big, big, big deal. Just like I said, they had to stop the races. And Clayton said, what happened? What's going on? And Doc Schofield sent me to the pits. And so Clayton was down at the finish. So I don't know what you was doing down there or saying or whatever. People come back to me and say, hey, Clayton just DQ'd Ronnie from the race. You know, I said, well, he needed to DQ him for the whole year because that crap was unnecessary, you know. And to make a long story short, they, I think Ronnie just lost his ride, too, that same day. You know, from uh, Rob, Rob Lynch says, you know, because it was uncalled for. Right. You know, and so speaking of having uh, excitement for the pros, mm-hmm. get Ronnie back. Yeah, I've heard that many times, get Ronnie Anderson back. This has been awesome. Tommy, thank you very much. Clayton, it's an honor. Thank you very much. Jason, as always, great. And uh, thank you for really enjoyed this, and uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you all next time. Cheers.